IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums, and we hash out trends. In this episode we talk about our most anticipated albums of 2023. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host. He is anticipating a time when I won't make him record IndieCast earlier than usual. Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? You know, I was thinking this morning about, like, what would be the most antagonistic thing I could say to Steve this morning, which, you know, could be either A, like, talk about the fact the Packers lost at home to the Lions with a playoff spot on the line, or I listened to Park Life this morning. And it's, I, I actually did listen to Park Life this morning. It still holds up. Uh, okay, so yeah, we're recording on Monday this week, because I'm leaving town for a few days. So we're going to be missing some indie, some indie rock news, I think, this week, possibly a in lot. this episode. We're gonna, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, because we're anticipating some things. Uh, but there's going to be other things that we miss, but it's my fault that we're recording early. And as Ian just alluded to, it's the day after another horrible <laughs> Aaron Rodgers choke job in January. Uh, I could do like a three hour sports cast of just venting <laughs> about this. We're also, we're recording before... Your team, the Georgia Bulldogs, play in the national championship game. So we don't know how that's going to turn out. I think you're probably going to win. You're playing TCU. Uh, yeah, I feel like, I, I, look, I'm not trying to tempt fate here. Like, I feel a lot less anxiety than I did last year when they were playing Alabama. And, you know, if, like, I'm being honest, I think they're going to fucking tombstone this team. But I just love the fact that, like, me as, like, a Georgia Bulldogs and Eagles fan, is coming into this episode like just super confident and we're asked, you know, the Green Bay Packers, one of the most like storied and successful franchises in all of sports. Like you're the one with like the hard luck. Story. Not lately. Not lately. Not okay. lately. I mean, <laughs> choking like dogs. And we're not even in the, like we choke, now we're choking before the playoffs. Like normally we choke in the playoffs. <laughs> Now we're not even getting to the playoffs. We're getting in a situation where everything is lined up perfectly for a, just kind of win at home against a team that has nothing to play for. No, Aaron Rodgers, a choking dog <laughs> once again. I'm telling you, I could do a three-hour sports cast on this. But, you know, by the time this posts, this is all going to be like old news. No one's going to even be thinking about Aaron Rodgers unless, you know, he does some stupid interview with pat mcafee where yeah i don't know which is almost certain to happen so we'll get to that Just, next week yeah all right but anyway you know, you went to a show this weekend this was like an ultimate ian cohen show right because it was it was joyce manor pup and jeff, jeff rosen and they played like an arena in Southern California? They literally played the Long Beach Arena. Uh, you know, there was a similar show in 2019 where it was Jeff Rosenstock, Joyce Manor, and AJJ, and they played uh, the Hollywood Palladium, which is like a two or 3,000 cap place. And I thought that was like the culmination of like this whole thing. Um, I get to the Long Beach Arena this Saturday. First off, uh, it's a convention center, so on the other side, on like one of the other buildings, there's an anime convention happening. So 
you have this huge line of like Joyce Manor and Pup fans, and on the other, people dressed up in like anime cosplay. So that's a great that that, that is just great merger. I mean, I thought car seat headrest was in town or something, but uh, this is like this is a literal arena. It is like a fourteen. It holds fourteen thousand people. Now, mind you, like that's you know the upper seating, and there was probably like. 6,000 people on the floor, which is a fuckload. That is, there's a lot of people yeah. there. And I mean, it was an arena rock show. It wasn't like, you know, Joyce Manor playing this. I mean, they played the same set you would see, you know, at, at like in a, at a thousand cap place, but I think they were recording it for a live album and they sounded fantastic. It was such a fun show. And, um, you know, it, I also, I got to give a shout out to Zach from Denver. Uh, like he turns around and is like, hey, man, I listen to the I listen to the podcast every week. I love being I love being recognized from IndieCast because like our our listeners, no punishers in that crowd. People oh, yeah. say hi and they love the podcast and they keep it moving. Uh, yeah, I've I, I've I've been bought many a beer by an IndieCast <laughs> listener who record, who recognized me at a show. I got recognized a few times at a, when it, last time I saw Wild Pink, Ooh. which <laughs> was like that was like a club show, and I swear I was like three recognized uh, <laughs> encounters at that show. Which if if you're gonna get recognized from IndieCast. It better be at a wild pink show. I mean that that's square in the middle of where our listeners would be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, could that bill play an arena anywhere else in the country? Like, do you think like if that bill? Because I'm thinking, okay, Southern California. Like, could that bill do six thousand people? Like at the like the Hartford <laughs> Civic Center or something? I, like the New York City area show? I could probably do it there, too. Maybe. I'm guessing. I mean, like, you know, like, Joyce Manor came out, and it's like, we're Joyce Manor. We're from right fucking here. I mean, they're from Long Beach, and I don't know if, like, they have that sort of pull in, like, you know, any other part of the country, but, like, I mean, let it let the record show that this is still pretty fucking impressive. So, I mean, this this... I mean, Jeff Rosenstock's technically an L.A. guy now, too. So um, I don't know if this would happen in Hartford, but I, I would love to see them try. Um, you know, like, it, they were all, it, it was just such a... The vibes are so good at this show. Like, I just can't even begin to talk about, like, how much, like, this is dude's rock in the flesh, but, like dudes rock meaning like the kind of non-toxic masculinity and and you know like it was like half i'd say like the gender split of the crowd was like half and half so you know dudes rock not just for dudes that's good to hear yeah i bet that i mean if if, if that was like a package tour they were def, they'd definitely be doing 2000 oh yeah cap and like in lots of places in the country yeah. that's a pretty loaded bill um one piece of news that hasn't broken yet when we've recorded this, but likely will by the time this posts, is the Coachella lineup. And we're operating on rumors at the time of this recording, but I think it's pretty reliable. Yeah. Like, the rumors are Bad Bunny, Blackpink, Frank Ocean. That sounds very Coachella, Coachella y, you know. I, 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 the only one that might be iffy is Frank Ocean. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know about him. And they actually might announce him and then he'll back out later. I could see that being a scenario. But 
I mean, I don't know how much we want to talk about this because we don't know for sure mm. this is happening, but I feel like it's probably going to be this. Yeah, I, I, I think that for both, like, or at least like floating the rumor that Frank Ocean is playing is the best way to keep uh, your festival in the headlines long after it's sold out and the lineup's been announced. Because, I mean, I think about the, God, the last time I went to like an LA-based festival might have been 2000. 15 or 16 FYF where like Frank Ocean was the headliner and like I think it was like two or three days before the festival he pulled out and uh Kanye replaced him that was the weekend I saw two of the headliners were Kanye and Morrissey uh and again this just kind of shows you how long it's been since I've actually been to an LA festival look I mean I I just hope he will bookmark this if it does turn out to be true when the year ends come along and people talk about like, you know, the hegemony of like, you know, rock dudes or what have you. Like Coachella is so far beyond the pale of that. Um, and so, I mean, I'm sh- look, all three of these people are going to put on great shows. Uh, it's not like, you know, when I was going to Coachella and like the last year I went, I think was 15, where you get like Drake as like this kind of trial balloon, but also like Muse or Arcade Fire <laughs> playing for like the third time. Yeah, I mean, now I'm at the point with Coachella where I would be surprised if a rock band was a headliner. Yeah. You know, like the, like you said, six, seven years ago, you still had like the obligatory, at least one rock chili band. Chili Peppers. Then, it was all, it was, yeah. like nine times out of ten, it would be the Chili Peppers. <laughs> Metallica, maybe. I mean, Metallica's got a new album. That would be an interesting one. I don't know. I just feel like their demo is so far beyond that. You know, like we were talking. Or at least I was talking last week, <laughs> hoping for an Oasis reunion. Yes. And there was a time where that would have totally been in Coachella's wheelhouse. And I, you know, if this prediction comes true, I wouldn't expect them to play Coachella. That would be like Glastonbury. Yeah. Like that, that's a total Glastonbury-type show. But I don't know. They're just so far beyond booking rock bands now that I don't really... I can't envision one other than maybe like a band like tame impala which is like Mm -hmm. kind of a rock band but you can also imagine them not being a rock band like i wonder like when vampire weekend puts out an album Mm. could they headline? i mean we've we've had this conversation before yeah i think they could headline or they yeah i think they certainly could um but yeah i mean oasis it wouldn't be as bad as like when they had blur slash the stone roses (laughs) Uh, try to anchor the Friday night in 2013, which is like one of the most pathetic displays I've ever seen at Coachella. It was like so historically bad that they had to just like completely reimagine it. But I, I think that was the turning point. Like there must have been a person involved in booking who, you know, was really into indie rock and alternative rock mm-hmm. from the 20th century. And then that bill happened and they put that person out to pasture. Yeah. Like, okay, you're done. We're only going to go on Spotify streams now. Like, whoever streams well, that's who's going to be booked as the headliner moving forward. Because we've turned the page from these big rock reunions that used to be our bread and butter. Our core audience, like, does not care about the Stone Roses or any band <laughs> of that generation. Stone Roses don't not care about up. the Stone Roses. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I I mean I like the Stone Roses. Same. I would go but I but I wouldn't go to Gla- I wouldn't go to Coachella to see yeah. this. You know, that's the thing. It's like the audience for that, they don't want to go to Coachella. Yeah. <laughs> and the Coachella audience doesn't want to see that. It's just 
incompatible, you know? And it, it, it doesn't have to do with, like, is Rock dead or not? Like, we don't have to write these think pieces. I don't see them really anymore. Where, like, you look at the lineup of Coachella and you're like, well, there's no rock bands here. That means rock is dead. Yeah. No, it just means that this particular festival, their audience isn't interested in that. And that's been true for a long time. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, this this conversation will be hilarious if the lineup is announced, which is after we record. Yeah. What if Oasis is on there? <laughs> what if? emergency (laughs) podcast you're gonna like record remotely you're gonna be we're gonna be like doing like one of those youtube things where like you're recording in your car or something like that yeah it's good yeah that would be that'd be defcon (laughs) four or five whatever the highest yeah we we always forget the high oh god this is like another kanye conversation (laughs) oh yeah yeah that's right (laughs) yeah we got to pivot from that um so we got to talk about this big thief story (laughs) That dropped last week. And, you know, compared to some of the Big Thief things that dropped in 2022, this is very innocuous. But there was a story about how Big Thief is inviting kids and teachers to their sound checks. And the quote from the band is, Our hope is that students would be able to come see the sound check and ask questions and share in a discussion about creativity, music, playing shows, songwriting, or whatever, exclamation point. Um, so when I saw this story, I had two reactions. The first reaction was, and this was, and I, I'm going to say my, this, this is actually my second reaction, but I'll say it first. My second reaction was, this is so pure in earnest that it feels wrong to make fun of it. Like it's coming from like a nice place. I understand the sentiment behind it. So hats off to them <laughs> wanting to have conversations about art or whatever. That was my second reaction. The first reaction I had was to roll my eyes at this. And look, I'm a fan of Big Thief, but this just seems like a very Big Thief idea. <laughs> you know, it doesn't seem very practical. Like I've I've been to sound checks before and they're really boring. You know, they're not that exciting. They're working through, they're basically just trying to figure out like the sound in the room. And when I've been in those situations, I always feel like I'm in the way. Like I'm standing in the middle of an office that I don't work in. (laughs) And maybe like one person knows why I'm there, but nobody else does. And basically like the band is usually okay about it, but like the people who work for the band or the people in the venue, they always treat you like, why are you in my office space like you don't need to be here you're just taking up room and now you're gonna have kids in that situation i don't know i it's very weird I, like what did you think of this yeah I, I had to laugh when you say like i take my hat off to them because like when i think of big thief <laughs> i think of buck meeks and buck buck meeks enormous hats um yeah i, I this is like the most big thiefy big thief thing to do it's like when matt bellamy uh talked about how he wanted muse concerts to like incorporate magnets and shit like um, well, I, I mean, I, I've been to sound checks and I don't know if, yeah, they're like boring and also stressful at the same time somehow. Uh, you know, like they're trying to get the levels right or make sure that, um, you know, Buck Meat has all of his hats and like, you know, alternately tuned guitars. And I'm just like wondering, um, like what age of kid they expect. I mean, have you ever been on a field trip with one of your kids? Have you ever been like the chaperone? No, I haven't, but um, 
I know that my kids do not care about indie rock. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I've played indie rock in front of them. It, they, they do not care about it. They do not engage with it. Uh, they like video game music. Mm-hmm. You know, music that is on Roblox, basically, <laughs> is what they're into. Uh, so I feel like this is going to be a teacher who loves Big Thief, and they're going to impose this on their students who may be fitfully interested in like why this, why we're watching this band. Yeah, because this has to happen after school. You know, like, uh, it's not like, <laughs> oh, true. hey, field no. trip at, like, 1 o'clock. Yay, we miss math. It's, you know, yeah, like, the ad- uh, when I think about, like, field trips nowadays, now that I have, you know, like, friends who are parents, it just seems so stressful for the adult to, like, corral all these people together, have them on the school bus. Like, probably go to a part of the city where it's, like, difficult to navigate. It, I mean. That's I, true. Yeah, I don't know how much, you know, you have to love Big Thief to pull this off. And. I, I, we really need to have our IndieCast intern do some follow-up on this, you know, to see, like, if anyone takes them up on the offer. But that's just all I can think about whenever I hear about a field trip. It's just I put myself in the position of, like, you know, the 36- or 42-year-old parent or teacher who is just trying in earnest to keep their shit together as they try to, like, get 12 kids to focus on one thing. And, and, and I just imagine... The process because you show up to these venues and there's always at least like one really cranky person yeah. who is like, "Why are you here?" Yeah, and you have to explain to them, and they never like believe you, like why you're there because <laughs> you don't have the sticker on or whatever. Yeah. And which it, it, you talk about it being stressful, it's stressful to visit these things just for that reason. Like I always feel like I'm about to be kicked out, and I'm like, "Dude, I'm just I'm writing about this band. They said I could be here," and. Yeah, the per- like the grumpy person never believes you. It's like, why would I make this up? Yeah. And like, why would I just be standing here? This is like boring as shit. Like, I don't really enjoy this process. Like, I'm working here, man. I'm working. Uh, but now you're going to have like 20 kids running around. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 that cranky guy at the venues is going to blow a gasket, I think, over this policy. But yeah, if you're a teacher out there, do us a solid. Take your kids to the Big Thief <laughs> sound check. We want to know how it goes. So, um, this next thing, we may have to cut this out, because we don't know for sure if this is being announced. We, we, we think it's being announced before this post, and it's a new single from M83, uh, which uh, is called Ocean's Niagara. And uh, because we're highfalutin critics, we, we got an early stream of this song. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm guessing there's going to be an album coming out connected to this. I don't know. I haven't heard that, but uh, we have a single, and uh, you are like the chief chronicler of M83. Would you say in the music critic community, like you've interviewed Anthony Gonzalez, like? 15 times or something (laughs) like not 15 but four which might as well be 15 um you know from the rollout of hurry up or dreaming which is of course their massive breakthrough album in 2011 up until junk which came five years later i interviewed him four times once for the once for the album another time for uh the oblivion soundtrack that he did with uh that this tom cruise blockbuster where he did the soundtrack just an altogether miserable experience for him Another time where they reissued M83's albums uh, and the next, last time for Junk. Um, and yeah, this this is just fascinating. He's just a fascinating person to follow because every single time I interviewed him, 
uh, the the fame of this band had just continued to escalate, and he just seems like a very private, normal guy who was kind of sort of freaked out by how big Midnight City became. And, you know, Junk uh, was in a lot of ways a reaction to that. Um, but this time, it sounds like, you know, M83 doing M83 in a way that reminds me a little bit of, um, you know, from last year, like Animal Collective or pre-cancellation Arcade Fire, just coming up coming back from like a pretty um you know like a pretty diffuse past decade and just doing what you love and reminding you why you love them in the first place and for ma3 this is like kind of a it's kind of a big deal because even without them around over the past six some odd years you look at things like stranger things or like the ghostbusters reboot and they all seem to have like m83 flavoring to it even if they're not involved at all so, um, I don't know. There's something kind of daring about it. Even if it is, um, you know, M83 doing M83 things. He's trying to remind us, like, what we loved about this band, even though there's so much, like, M83-inspired stuff going on. Yeah, this single, I thought it w- w- was pretty good. I enjoyed it, and, like, I'm an M83 fan, so M83 doing M83 is uh, in my wheelhouse. I will say, though, that there are instances sometimes like where an artist or a band so perfectly executes like what they do that really through no fault of their own it 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 makes like anything that comes after feel unnecessary you know like it's like this thing is so perfect like you you, like you have no hope of ever topping it you know i i feel like people say that about the strokes Mm -hmm. a lot with is this it like they just nailed the strokes thing and everything after has been just reiterating like what they did on that record. I don't necessarily agree with that because there's Strokes albums I like almost as much as Is This It, but that's an argument that's made. I would make that argument like with M83. I feel like Midnight City, which I still feel like is probably the best like indie song of the 2010s. Like if I had to pick a single, that would be the one that immediately comes to mind. It's so perfect <laughs> that it's like, what do you do after that? Because everything else just feels like diminishing returns. I think Junk, as you said, it was a reaction to the success of that song and the album. But it, it was like he was dodging that issue. It's like, I'm going to make this quirky album that doesn't even attempt to really try to top what I did before, match it. And this album, maybe there's enough space from Midnight City now like where he can do the retrenching type record and it'll feel different maybe people are just appreciative of what he does but i don't know that is a curse though with some Mm -hmm. bands and artists that you can almost make too perfect of a record or a song that you can't ever hope to follow it up yeah like uh, hurry up we're dreaming and let me just say that like 2003 to 2011 m83 is like one of my favorite runs of music of all time and hurry up we're dreaming it was you know, he intentionally designed it after Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. It was such a perfect distillation and expansion of what M83 did, um, which in and of itself was something that people have copied even before that. Um, that, you know, like, I'm hoping he gets, like, a new a new abnormal. Like, whatever that Strokes album was called, where they kind of did the same thing, but it wasn't, like you know, angles or something like that. So it was celebrated to a degree that it might not have been had it come out like two years after Hurry Up, We're Dreaming. I love this band. Anthony's a cool guy. Like, and I think he's gotten enough space 
from junk, which I mean, he was freaked out by Midnight City uh, and he would admit it. And junk was a really good way for him to kind of give himself some distance. Like I thought this guy was just going to do soundtracks with his brother for the rest of his life, but I'm just glad that they're back. And, you know, I'm glad that we're, we're we got our first big uh, announcement of 2023. So we can really feel like we're moving forward in this year. That we know of anyway. Yes. There could be other <laughs> ones that we missed that we'll have to get to in our next episode. Uh, let's get to our mailbag segment. Thank you all for writing in. You can hit us up at IndieCastMailbag at gmail.com. Uh, I like this letter this Love week. Love it. Uh, do you want to read it? I do. So this is Cheers from Danny and Geelong. It's it's either Geelong or Geelong in Australia. Either way, yes. like Cheers from Danny in Australia. That would be lots of Australians yeah. write us. I love it. Uh, hi, Stephen and Ian. I'm a big fan of your podcast, and I have a question for you. What are your feelings on Faith No More, and specifically their best CD, Angel Dust? I like how he said CD. This is a very CD album. Oh, absolutely. Angel Dust was very important to me and my friends in our teenage years, and I still very much enjoy playing it today. In his 2015 Pitchfork review, Stuart Berman rightly called Angel Dust a modern classic, and I think it is in the same league in quality, not so much legacy as other big alt-rock releases from the 90s, including Blood Sugar Sex Magic, Nevermind, Siamese Dreams, and Super Unknown. However, no one really mentions Angel Dust when they discuss music from that era. Has this classic record been unfairly forgotten? Cheers from Danny. Yeah. So, I made a joke once on Twitter that if you were a teenager in the 90s, you had at least one friend that was way, way into <laughs> Faith No More and Mike Patton, you know, Mr. Bungle, all that, all that stuff, and like Angel Dust specifically. Like for a certain breed of alt-metal fan, Angel Dust is like OK Computer of the <laughs> yeah. 90s. Absolutely. You know, just like this sort of shape-shifting, paradigm-shifting, you know, just mind-blowing type record um you mentioned uh danny mentioned some like big time alt rock classics there and he's wondering like has this record been forgotten relative to like nevermind or siamese dream i mean i don't think it's been forgotten because it wasn't even really noticed by most people like it's a record that for people like danny and scattered people throughout the world this is like a huge record and for most people uh you know faith no more is the band that did epic and 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 that's it um as far as my own feelings about it like i own this on cd yeah i own this album on cd um hold on is it like your original one or did you buy rebuy it recently no i i i i rebought it like a like a year or two ago um but i think i enjoy it more as an object than as an album uh like i like owning it on cd but i don't listen to it a ton um and i i hope that doesn't sound bad i mean i i appreciate this record but the thing about like mike Patton is like i've seen him likened to frank zappa and i think that's a really apt comparison because frank zappa is a genius musician i think most people would recognize like he's a great guitar player uh, he writes really complicated music. He's clearly a, an intelligent guy, but he's also like an obnoxious bore. You know, <laughs> like he's he's kind of unbearable. And with Mike Patton, I feel like there's both those elements. Like he's clearly a talented vocalist, and, and people have talked about like his vocal range being 
I think, he, I think he's got like a like a four or five octave range or something like that. Um, and on Angel Dust, you can hear like what he does as a singer. There's some really beautiful moments, like this, like the 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 single from that record, Midlife Crisis. Like the chorus, I think, is really beautiful. But then there's also vocal affectations in that song that are really kind of annoying. And he's also singing. There's that line in the chorus mm-hmm. where he goes. Uh, uh, are you gonna do the Mike Patton voice? Are you gonna do it? I'm not gonna do. It. I was thinking about doing it. No, like your menstruating heart, it ain't bleeding enough for two. Uh, is the chorus of that song, which is something that I think I, when I was 14, I would have thought that was really edgy, and now I just think it's kind of dumb. You know, like you know what I yeah. mean? Like I don't know. Like again, I think with with that record specifically in this Mike Patton in general, there's there's always these moments of brilliance bumping up against kind of obnoxious things. So, like Zappa, it, it it feels designed to be a niche-type record uh, in the way that those other records that Danny mentioned aren't. I, I mean, how do you... Does any of this square with how you feel? Like, are you a big Angel Dust fan? Yeah, I, I, like, I should send Danny, like, a check for, like, $100 or something like that because this is, like, an effective form of, like, exposure therapy. Like, I'm, when, when you mentioned the album Angel Dust, I'm, like, really back in, like, sixth grade watching MTV for six hours a day, like, eating cheese. It's waiting for the uh, midlife crisis or a small victory MTV exclusive Chiron to come up. Like, I am there in a way no therapist is able to get me but you know i i bought this cd i owned an angel dust t-shirt for some reason despite the (laughs) fact i know right um despite the fact that like i don't think i ever listened to this album all the way through one of the things i loved about your pearl jam book was talking about how you know to someone who's like 12 years old or at least in the early 90s with like more of a monoculture how something that is like I don't know, not at the level of, say, like Metallica or Boys to Men can still be seen as like countercultural. And that's what like Faith No More was to me as a 13 year old. Um, I haven't listened to this album in probably 30 years, but I remember RV and Be Aggressive. Those are like kind of the more uh, novelty songs on the album. And, you know, I know that it was super influential on a lot of like bands like Deftones and Korn. Um, and so, you know, I was kind of interested in re-listening to it and just to see how it's held up. Um, listened to it the other day and boy, I did not like it very much. Um, the production <laughs> just sounds like ultra dated, like those synth sounds. And, and, you know, that's not in and of itself, um, something that would prevent me from liking it. Like I think dated sounds can be very interesting, but RV is like the fourth song on the record, which I thought it came later. That seemed like a very much a deep cut. And this reminded me not so much of Zappa, but like Tool. And not in the way it sounds, but in the sense of like, there's this kind of uh, like, oh, I'm like, look, look, like this this derisive, condescending sort of intellect that, again, I found to be very compelling when I was 13 years old. Like I remember listening to like a Dennis Leary stand-up CD and thinking, oh yeah, this is a fucking tr- right. this is a truth teller right here, man. Like th- this guy's saying what we're all thinking, and like when I hear it now, it just seems to me to be like, uh, you know, like the type we all know a Mike Patton type of guy, and like if they're not, they're not like they look down on people who would listen to Joe Rogan, but like in some ways, 
there's like some bits and pieces of similarities. So, um, yeah, not 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 a fan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I think like when I likened it to Zappa, that was what I was talking about. The yeah, like you said that that kind of superiority of like complexity, you know, like because this is uh, not uh, you know because I, I think there was probably a like a certain breed a fan that would scoff at like Pearl Jam or Alice in Chains. Absolutely. You know, as being kind of dumb guy music and that this was like more elevated. And and I think Patton probably looks at himself like that too. That that's the impression that you get from the records and it is something that makes it annoying even though there's parts of it that I think again I think are really kind of amazing. Like there are compositional things on this record that i think are really cool and again as a vocalist Patton does like a lot of interesting things it's just that some of those interesting things i i find really irritating so you know the the beauty and the irritation go hand in hand mm-hmm. i feel like with his music for me all right well let's get to the meat of our episode and by the way i think we broke our half hour <laughs> guarantee we I, I was complaining about the packers for too long i apologize for that uh, we're talking about our most anticipated albums of 2023. I have, so we each pick three, by the way. So we have six total. Um, have you heard any of your albums yet? I haven't heard any of mine. None. And, you know, none of these have even been announced. Like, I don't know if they exist. This is all based on, you know, speculation. But, like, I think I have enough intel. And again, like, I'm not saying, like, oh, yeah, someone from the label you know, slid me like a demo or something like that. But just from contextual clues, I can imagine that this year will end with us having seen these albums come out. Well, let's get into it. Like, what's the first album on your list? All right, so um, uh, <laughs> I'm putting Black Country New Road on there, which, you know, it's they just put out an album last year and the year before that. Um, but, you know, I think about this band in terms of... <sighs> I think in a lot of ways, the uh, current critical, um, you know, the current critical scene is a reaction to, uh, you know, those couple of years when the, you know, when the world revolved around uh, Deer Hunter and like Animal Collective, like, um, you know, and it's, I guess it's hard for people to kind of conceive of that now because it's such an anomaly. Like, you know, the 90s was a lot more like right now than most people are willing to believe, but I think it's just kind of hard to imagine, um, you know, not just you know, Deer Hunter and Animal Collective, like, leading the charge, but also, like, indie bands that are that prolific and dynamic and change from album to album and are constantly uh, workshopping new music. Like, I think one of the fun things about Animal Collective is that when they put out an album, that was the end of that cycle. And when you saw them live, you would see them do songs from what would become the next album. Black Country New Road is like that. They, they were like that, and they have to be like that now because um, Isaac Wood, the front person who led uh, Ants From Up There, is gone. And I saw them perform with Black Midi, who's another band I would put in that category. Um, and they played entirely new music. It was like 45 minutes of all new stuff. Uh, it sounded, you know, kind of of a piece with what they were doing. It's very grand, orchestral, a lot of eight-minute songs. But um, I'm interested to see how they adjust because, you know, Isaac Wood was, uh, in my view, like, 
one of the main draws of this band. I loved his lyrical style, but I think he was the <laughs> I think he was like the most annoying. Like people who don't like Black Country New Road, and there are a lot of them. It was a lot because of him. And now they have like three or four vocalists, all of whom, you know, are great vocalists and great songwriters, but they kind of lack that charisma or presence. So, you know, I'm, I, I, A, I feel like they're definitely going to put out a record because so much material is built up. And I'm interested to see like whether this is like, you know, post Sid Barrett, Pink Floyd, or maybe like new pornographers type situation or whether they kind of lose what made them special. Uh, either way, I'm just like excited to see what they do next because they're just constantly working and they're just so much talent in this band. Yeah, you know, because you, you talked before, I think, about seeing them live and ha- all the different, uh, having like three or four different singers rather than just like one front person. And I, I'm actually really intrigued by that. Like I want to hear what record comes out of that. It, it's funny with this band because in my mind... They remind me probably the most of like 70s prog rock, you know, like they have that vibe to me, especially like a British 70s prog rock band like Genesis or like Gentle Giant, <laughs> that kind of stuff. And it's funny that they've already lost their their front person because that was like a hallmark of those bands. Like they would, you know, like Genesis lost their lead singer, you know, Peter Gabriel and then like Phil Collins ends up being the singer. So maybe like one of these new singers will be like their Phil Collins and like they'll actually go on to this great pop success in the wake of Isaac Wood leaving. Um, this is a band that like, I'm still in the zone of appreciating what they do more than enjoying it. Like ants from up there is a record that I think like exhausts me more than exhilarates me, but the animal collective comparison makes sense to me because it does harken to a time like where you had bands that, would irritate people because of what they're doing, you know, just because they have like sort of an experimental, almost confrontational type style. Yes. And I and I do like that idea. I, I I like the idea of like a band like that that uh, isn't designed to make music that just sounds good on your lap uh, on your laptop while you're streaming music at your job. You know, because I, I feel like that's what most music is now. So. I appreciate what they do. I'm intrigued by this, whatever they have next, even though I haven't fully embraced them yet. Um, But yeah, I'm glad they're around and I'm waiting to eventually be blown away by them. Yeah. I I, Um, I just like the fact that if when they piss people off, it's because of the music, not because like, you know, their music is, you know, kind of anodyne, but they're just annoying posters. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Well, maybe that gets to my first album on my list of anticipated records. And we talked about this album a little last week, but not so much about the music. It was more about the conversation around this band, which I think is kind of sad because, you know, like Big Thief last year, I think the conversation overtook what was, in my mind, a great record. And I, I feel like it's it could happen to this record I'm talking about. It's the new album by Wednesday, which... We know we'll be coming out at some point. Um, and I think some people maybe out there in music critic land have heard. I have not heard it yet myself. I'm, I'm very excited to, to hear it. But Wednesday to me, I want to put the music first here. Because you, know, you, you, were, you were talking about Deer Hunter and Animal Collective uh, 
before, and we were talking about them being confrontational type bands. I think Animal Collective more than Deer Hunter. And I think just this idea of like indie bands that have like really good, exciting discographies, you know, that's something that we've been missing a little bit. It seems like bands bubble up. They put out a record or two, and then they maybe they, they fade away a little bit. I'm putting my stock, or I'm buying stock in Wednesday <laughs> being a band. Like around the can horn. Be like, <laughs> yeah. That's like a Bill Simmons thing, yeah. I think, is buying stock. But uh, a band like Big Thief, I keep likening them to Big Thief, but I think there are similarities there. But how Big Thief has like already like a strong catalog that I think people are going to be talking about in 10 years in the way that we talk about deer hunter records now i think wednesday has that potential the last couple albums of originals i think are really good you have i was trying to describe you to someone in 2000 in 2020 in 2020 and then you had twin plagues that came out in 2021 and i guess my hope is that this new record is like their halcyon digest Mm. you know the album like where it all comes together it feels like okay this is the one this is their moment. I feel like it's leading up to that. Like the stars are aligned. They just have to deliver the record that lives up to the moment. I have to say that like they put out a single last year called Bull Believer. It was like this eight minute song. I'm a, I'm assuming that's on the record. Mm-hmm. I guess I don't know that for sure. I wasn't crazy about that song. It To me, it didn't fit into what I love about Carly Hartsman's songwriting, which I think she's really good at doing these sort of deadpan slice of life songs set in small towns that are really evocative. And she sets it to music that really kind of creates a a sense of mood that is, I don't know, there's like a, it's somewhat foreboding, but also uh, there's something kind of warm and comfortable about it at the same time. If that song is on the record, I think it'll probably make more sense on the record than it did as a single. But I don't know. I'm excited for that record. I hope, you know, we talked last week that we feel like there's uh, goodwill out there among them with critics, that they want this to be great. I'm one of those people that want it to be great, but we have to hear it and see if it actually lives up to that moment. Yeah. Uh, speaking like uh, speaking of like their vast discography, I was revisiting this mix I made from 2019 and like the real heads will remember Diva Sweetly. It's uh, Carly Hartsman's uh, kind of emo leaning band from uh, the early days that no longer exists. Check out that album. It's a really interesting uh, leap from that to Wednesday. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've, I haven't heard that record. I've heard of it, but I've not dove into yeah, that. You'll be shocked what uh, it sounds like. <laughs> so, what's your next anticipated album? Uh, you know, speaking of pivoting to emo, we got to talk about emo. Um, you know, I I, I published recently on Uproxx uh, my list of uh, my favorite emo albums from 2022, and in it, you know, I talked about how there was a real lack of like this big uh, flagship album. I feel like a lot of the bands that really were bubbling up in fifth wave, uh, you know, are, are just biding their time. And I think some really good albums will come out from this world. I know the home is where record is done awake, but still in bed is doing their thing. Those albums will come out and I feel like they'll be, you know, well-received and perhaps maybe make a little impact outside of emo Twitter. But the one I'm most excited about is the one where I have like the least amount of information and like the least idea of what it's going to sound like. And that is Glass Beach's second album, which will not be called the second Glass Beach album. Um, their one from 2019 is still probably my favorite record that has come out since that time. Um, 
just came completely out of the blue. Such a really awesome, fully formed aesthetic. Just took its sound in so many different directions and also annoyed people, which I always love about that. Um, it's kind of like the 1975 where even when they're, even when there's songs that are just like uniformly excellent, you could hear the ghost of like a, a version of it where everything just goes completely wrong and it's unlistenable. Um, everything feels like it's on the table for them. Um, and I think they have this kind of, cult following around them where it will just be and it'll just be interesting as opposed to just like okay here's a band i like here's a good record like i have no idea what they're going to do whether they're going to like be more confident uh you know because they self-release and self-produce their first one or whether they're going to overthink it um it could be like what what was the fiery furnaces album that came out after blueberry boat it was like one that like people fucking hated it was the one they did with their I, grandma, right? Yeah, it's a rehearsing my choir. Yeah, so I believe is the name of that. We could get something like that, or you know, we could get uh, of Montreal's been a band they've compared to. Maybe they do their hissing fawn. Are you the destroyer? Again, like I think what you know, Wednesday, Black Country, New Road, Glass Beach. I think they all. If I could unify them, it's that like I have no idea what's going to come of this, and that's more exciting than say you know, a band that's like consistent and, you know, maybe they'll do their thing in a way that is more fully recognized. Yeah. You know, I, I have to say, and, and this is going to sound like sacrilege to you, but the aspects of that record that I like the most are the more of Montreal, like aspects, the sort of cosmic psychedelic funky parts of it, as opposed to maybe the more, straightforward emo stuff which i i kind of find grading on that record so like if they move more in the of montreal direction i think i'd be on board for that because that's a band you don't i don't really hear them being referenced very often but i think at their best they actually had like a really cool sound and they were great live yes at their peak um so I don't know. I may have just totally irritated you. Nah, I'm good by saying that, <laughs> but I would. But I, I guess because this is another band. This is definitely uh, a thread with you that, like Black Country New Road, has like a lot of ideas, and they're throwing a lot of stuff against the wall, and doing it in a way that is going to alienate people. But for the people who connect with it, it's gonna just blow their minds. That's that's what that's what that's what we love here on uh, this side of IndieCast. <laughs> like just uh, again, like a lot of this is just me being nostalgic for like you know the two thousand four to two thousand nine sort of era of like post indie rock, where like you could just like clown a band for like having a whole bunch of ideas and some of which work. Like you know, rather than nowadays where it's it's like f- fairly safe music, but like you have to find like other means of like laundering your dislike of a band, you know? It's like, oh, so-and-so made a bad post. Oh, fuck yeah. Now it's time to capitalize and say, I never liked them. Um, yeah, right. there's just a certain, like when people say they don't like Glass Beach, I totally fucking get it. Like, <laughs> again, it's sort of like even the 1975 where it's like, yeah, this, like you can't, love this band and not recognize how it would annoy the shit out of some people. Well, my next record, and I've already referenced uh, Peter Gabriel era Genesis in this episode. So why not just talk about Peter Gabriel himself? Oh yeah. Because he is, I think putting out his first album in 21 years this year. uh, And it's called, 
and I don't know how to pronounce this. I'm just going to say I slash O. Yeah. Like, before there was a Bonnie Iver, there was Peter Gabriel <laughs> doing things like this. That's a good comparison. Um, that, like, I think that's like an all, that's a very astute comparison. Well, and he's and Peter Gabriel has covered uh, Bonnie Iver, and and I think you listen to Bonnie Iver, he's clearly a Peter Gabriel fan. Um, there was a single that dropped. Uh, I think it was last yeah. week. That is from this record. It's called Panopticom. Very Tool-esque. Yes, it is very much. Uh, Brian Eno was involved in it. I think it's like a pretty good single. I don't know what to think of this album. He has, I think, been working on it for like 20 years. <laughs> it's not just that like he's waited a long time and now he finally worked on a record. Uh, he His last album came out in, in 2002. It was called Up, which is a... Quite a good album, by the way. Uh, actually, Stereo Gum had a good 20-year retrospective piece on it uh, last year. That That's worth uh, looking up. But there were there was talk in 2002 that Gabriel was going to follow up, up relatively quickly. And it was presumably this album. So he's been dabbling in this. I don't know how often he's been working on it in the last 21 years. I don't know if it's like every year or if it's like in fits and starts. But... It's the kind of album that, even if it's not good, mm-hmm. I know I'm going to enjoy thinking about it because it is like one of those records that I'm sure is just absurdly expensive. You know, it, it, it has so much labor. It's it, and again, even if it's not very good, I know it's going to sound amazing. You, like the songs might be shit for all <laughs> I know, but it's it's going to sound amazing. It's going to be played by amazing musicians. It's going to just have Again, just tons of money put into it. And really, it's just like the kind of record you don't hear that much anymore. You know, like we, we talk about, you know, these boondoggles that came out of like the late 20th century, like when the music industry was just flush with cash, you know, Chinese democracy being like the most sort of obvious example. But, you know, there's less well-known. I mean, there's that, there's that uh, corn album. Untouchables. Untouchables. Yeah. Which is, I think that costs like $4 million to well, make. Well, apparently a big, well, first off, like no one can ever confirm these numbers, but I think a lot of it with Corn. I love this fact. I interviewed them uh, last year for their new album is that they kept like their entire road crew and such like on retainer. So right. they wouldn't go like, you know, cause you know, it's hard for those people to make money. Uh, and they kept them on retainer so like they wouldn't go get other jobs. Also, I think if we're talking about super expensive albums, they're like, how did they spend this much money? We got to talk about The Darkness, One Way Ticket to Hell and Back. Apparently, right. that was also one of the most expensive ones, but I digress. That's super expensive. Again, just like these amazing sounding, opulent albums, like I'm always going to be drawn to that. So along with just being a Peter Gabriel fan, which I am, just the idea of this being an album that's been in the works for 21 years. It's like, I got to hear this album, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I'm excited to hear it for sure. Yeah, I think with Peter Gabriel, this seems, he seems kind of like a Kate Bush type in that, I mean, look, he's never really left the discussion, you know, in your eyes is always going to ensure that he's, you know, able to make albums every 20 years that cost $5 billion. But um, yeah, I feel like there's maybe like a bubbling, like Peter Gabriel, not renaissance or reappreciation, but he becomes someone people talk a lot more about as an influence or just a touchdown because I mean, fascinating career. Yeah. And there is a Peter Gabriel, Kate Bush duet yep. on. So don't, don't give, up. give up. Great song. Mm-hmm. 
throw that in Stranger Things. That that would God. be a good uh, sync. Yeah, I'm just thinking about like in the same time period where I was like, you know, the aforementioned listening to watching MTV at eight hours a day. Uh, a lot of songs from us, like those videos, oh, yeah. were definitely popping. Like Steam digging in the dirt. Oh my, kiss oh my that God. frog. If you like, if you want to remember 1992 or threes, like computer aesthetics in the most accurate terms imaginable go find the kiss that frog uh video yeah i did not expect us to be talking about fucking kiss that frog in 2023 and i mean us the first song come talk to me which i believe i don't know if bunny bear covered that or not maybe not but that's a song that uh you know if you love black country new road in a way that kind of predates like that arcade fire epic just orchestral type rock. Great song. Anyway, <laughs> what is your last anticipated album of 2023? All right. So I, 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 it's in this vein of the first two in that it's like kind of a cult act that people love, but I don't know if these, this, this band annoys people all that much. Uh, but it's definitely like an us first them sort of thing. Um, I'm fairly confident that Los Campesinos are working on a new record. Things move pretty slowly in this camp. You know, they have like six or seven members. Most have kids. Uh, they're all huge soccer fans. So maybe they took a couple months off to watch the World Cup. But, you know, this band has had a pretty steady amount of appreciation since 2007 when Yumi Dancing came out. And, um, you know, I feel like we j- I feel like they're just still underappreciated. When I look back on their discography, which, you know, they were very, very active early on and now, you know, four years between No Blues in 2013 and Six Scenes, their last album in 2017, that it's easy to kind of do a re-listen and appreciate just how distinct uh, this band is. I think similar to Wednesday, they incorporate sports references in their lyrics a lot, which I think more indie bands should do. Um, But, you know, do I think that if this band puts out something, it'll be, you know, their best album, which I think No Blues is their best album. I'm not sure about that. I think they're younger, or I'm sorry, I think they're older, a bit more mature, maybe not as beholden to like, you know, their wildest ideas they used to be. But nonetheless, this is, I mean, there are a ton of albums I could throw out here that like I'm looking forward to because I think they might be awesome. Empty Country comes to mind. But this one is more just kind of a personal thing in that put out a new record. I want to talk about Los Campesinos. Like this is like the, uh, let me do my thing with a legacy band uh, type pick. You know, as you were talking about them, it occurred to me, like, is this your hold steady? It, your Los Capesinos? Absolutely. <laughs> like, this is a super influential band on, like, a lot of the music I currently love. Uh, what I love about Los Campesinos, amongst many things, is that they actively stump to be included in emo conversations. Like, they are, they, they, they want in on that, which I fucking love that because it's like the opposite of every other band that emerged from that era. Like they started out trying to sound like pavement and then they just evolved into a more like overtly emo sound. And, you know, they, I, I love, yeah, that is my hold steady. There you go. Yeah. Cause, and I, I thought of that comparison just because like both bands are like islands onto themselves, like where they've created this, almost like a mythology within their own lyrics. Yes. I feel like when I hear fans talk about Los Capesinos, they talk about like, the lyrics. And I mean, you were just doing that just now. And it's like, there's no impact outside of those islands. 
Like, you know, like <laughs> if you love the old steady, there's like if you don't like they're the easiest band to ignore if you don't like them. But like if you are in that world, you're in it, and you there's a lot to enjoy, and which kind of seems like the best place to be if you're a legacy band mm. rather than trying to compete like with what whatever like the new thing is like just talk to your audience you know be with your audience and be like the purest version of yourself that you can be it, it, I, I just feel like that's a good way to move forward uh bands of that uh vintage um my last anticipated record is kind of in the same boat as your uh last pick it's another culty band this band i think is probably less culty than Los Campesinos, but for those of those who love this band, I think they'll be excited that super drag has hinted, or I think even said on Twitter that they're going to put out a record in 2023. Uh, For the rest of you who have no idea who super drag is, super drag is this band that originated in the nineties. They had a hit off their first record called uh, sucked out. That was like an MTV hit. And then like for most of the world, they kind of faded after that. But like for the true heads, like the real classic Super Drag albums came after that. And I think I have Super Drag on the brain because, you know, for 2022, I was talking about how for me, it was like a really good year for power pop mm-hmm. records like like Mo Troper and Second Grade and Young Gov. And uh, there's, there's, there's a few others. And Super Drag is like one of the great power pop bands, I I would say, of like the last 25 or so years. And uh, f- for those who want to dig into this band, I would really recommend 1998's Head Trip in Every Key and 2000's uh, In the Valley of the Dying Stars. Just both, again, great power pop records. I feel like people reference Teenage Fan Club from this era, mm-hmm. but they don't talk about Super Drag as much. I mean, again, I, like, I'm guessing Mo Troper, if you're listening, yeah. and I think you do listen to the show, I'm guessing you're a Super Drag fan. But there's a lot of people out there who maybe aren't into this band. But they, again, they have some records that I think our listeners would enjoy. Like, I would consider those two albums that I mentioned to be potential IndyCast Hall of Fame candidates. Um so yeah, I'm excited to hear what they do. I feel like power pop bands age maybe better than like bands from other genres. Like I have more hope that they would make a good record than like a lot of bands. It just seems like if you're a middle-aged band, you could still make power pop. Yeah. You know, like older guys can make good power pop. Maybe they even make better power pop records than like younger guys. Uh, so yeah, this is gonna be a good record. I think. Yeah, I feel like if you're like a younger person making power pop, you kind of secretly wish you were like, you know, forty something or at least lived in the '90s. And Super Drag <laughs> is a band that I've seen referenced by a lot of bands in that vein that you mentioned. Where you know, as someone who grew up listening to alt rock radio, like Super Drag is the I'm not gonna attempt to do that voice, but it's just like, oh, really them? Because like it was similar to like. People would say, like, yeah, Harvey Danger, that's, like, a really good band, actually. Um, I think that, you know, one of the nice things about, um, you know, the music industry being where it was in the 90s and, like, these bands, like, Fastball, for example, like, having one hit is that so many people, like, own that CD and, like, justified, try to justify spending $18 that they become attached to it. And they can, you know, have a second life. Uh, Hum is a great example of that. They had like one hit, but you know, they're just, they're, they're just so massively influential because I guess a lot of people bought 
you know, that record and you know, loved what they did aside from stars. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm excited that you're excited over Super Drag. <laughs> I, I would, I would also include apparently like Folk Implosion is doing a new album. Uh, we're gonna center. We're like, if you're a, if you're a '90s band that had like one hit and you're like making a go of it in 2023, we might just dedicate an entire episode to you. I really hope that Folk Implosion and Super Drag drop on the same week. All right, well, and I hope so too. A Folk Implosion Super Drag episode that's gonna do numbers for us. <laughs> it wouldn't for most podcasts, but I think for this show, that might be one of our biggest episodes of the year. So fingers crossed for that. Thank you all for listening to this episode of IndieCast. We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box. (laughs) 